Welcome to The Compass, the podcast ministry of Calvary Baptist Church of Fayetteville, Arkansas. We're thrilled that you've chosen to download and listen as we continue our journey through God's Word. Now, in today's podcast, I have the opportunity to wrap up a series on the seven churches of Revelation. If you're looking for a church to call your own, if you're looking for a place to worship and a people to worship with, I want to encourage you to come and join us at Calvary Baptist Church of Fayetteville. We're located at 1410 North Porter Road in Fayetteville, Arkansas, and you can find out more information at calvaryfayetteville.com, email us at info at calvaryfayetteville.com, or call us at 479-442-4634. Again, on today's podcast, I have the opportunity to share from Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 22, as we talk about being useful for God as we wrap up a series on the seven churches of Revelation. Let's listen together. We are looking at the last of the seven churches of Revelation. You may think, well, this has been a long series. It's lasted a year for seven messages. Um, but it is, I'm excited about this. Um, there's been a lot of things that we've seen, and we're going to go over those in just a moment or two. But the seven churches of Revelation are messages that we find that point to these seven churches and so we want to look to them. Over the past year, we have been slowly working our way through Revelation 2 and 3 in between the series that Pastor Kirk has been leading us in. We've seen a number of things, but for me, we see <clears throat> snapshots of revitalized and renewed churches, of what we need to do and what we need to be as a church. In most of these churches, Jesus has shared a commendation, the good things that they're doing, a condemnation, the bad things that they're doing, and an encouragement for change. There's a great need for awareness in these seven churches, an awareness of changes that need to be made. So that's why it's so important for us to look at these, is for us to, to understand this idea of self-evaluation. Because there's, well, we get very comfortable in churches. And we put our blinders on. We live in that comfort zone, that bubble that we're very comfortable. And we think we, we go to church, we go home, we come back to church, and this cycle repeats itself. And often we fail to take a moment or two to look at our own Christian life and look at the life of the church. And that's one of the reasons that these are so important for us to look at. So we want to take a moment, though, and, and look back at these six other churches that we've already covered. <coughs> If you'd like to hear these messages, you can go to our, our podcast. It's at calfay.podbean.com, or you can find it through our website. Uh, but it's a way and opportunity for you to go back and listen to all of these, and you just have to search under seven churches, and you'll find it there. Now, the first church that, we, that Jesus addressed to the Apostle John in the book of Revelation was the church at Ephesus. And there Jesus shared that the church needed to return to its first love. They needed to point their hearts to Jesus. We found this truth, that a revitalized church is a church that loves God wholeheartedly. Are we that type of church here at Calvary? Do we love God with our whole heart, with our whole mind, with our whole body, with our whole soul? Is that who we are? It's supposed to be who we are. We talk about our mission is to be a great commandment church and a great commission church. That begins with love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. 
So the first church we looked at, the church of Ephesus, we learned that a revitalized church is a church that loves God wholeheartedly. The second church that Jesus addressed was the church at Smyrna. And Jesus shared, do not fear. And he wanted to encourage them as they were about to face difficult times and understand that a revitalized church is a church that places faith over fear. Boy, that's a message that we needed to embrace as we stepped through these last two years in the pandemic. Now, looking at the third church, Jesus addressed in Revelation, the church of Pergamum, we saw the truth that a revitalized church is a church that embraces the truth of God's word. Not just embraces the importance of the Bible, but embraces the truth that's found there. There's a lot of people that will say that God's word is important. They will say that it is God's word, that it's holy, it is something we look to. But many churches will just give that lip service. How many of us are embracing God's word, applying it to our lives, and it makes a definite impact in our world? When we looked at the fourth church addressed in Revelation, the church at Thyatira, we learned that a revitalized church is a church that perseveres through the difficult times. When we looked at the church at Sardis, we saw that a revitalized church is a church that is awake. And then as we looked at the sixth church in our series, the church at Philadelphia, we saw that a revitalized church is a church that embraces God-given opportunities. They see that God is working and join him in that work. Henry Blackaby uh, shared a book and then a study experiencing God. It's, it's a powerful thing, but it has this overall concept that you look to where God is working and then you join him in that process. Are we doing that here at Calvary? So again, as we go back through these, as we see what we've covered and understand, there are some things, there's work that needs to be accomplished here, things that we maybe need that we need to change within our congregation and change within us as part of that congregation. Well, today, as we look at the seventh and final church in our series, and all the people said, amen, that finally we're at the, the end of the series. Revitalized Church is a church that is useful and relies on the Father. So that's what I want us to see today, is a revitalized church is a useful church. It's a church that relies on on God wholeheartedly, not just loving him, but relies on him, that puts their faith in him, that trusts him to provide and to give us purpose. So let's look at our text. Revelation chapter 3, verse 14, the Bible says this, And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation, I know your works. You are neither hot, cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and solve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come to him and eat with him and eat with me. The one who conquers, I will grant to him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says 
to the churches. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. (coughs) Father, we just thank you so much for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the message that we find in it. And I just ask that you help us to be ready to look at our own hearts, our own lives, and at the life of this church that you help us to honor you in everything that we do here and in our homes. God, you deserve our best. And we can only do that when you provide us the power that we need. And so, Father, I ask that you, you be among us today, that we feel your spirit, that we understand what we need to do, what we need to accomplish, and that we'll say yes Father, forgive us where we fail you in Christ, and we pray. Amen. Well, one of the reasons that these passages are so important to me is that they push us towards self-evaluation as a body of believers. We cannot move forward unless we're willing to take a hard look at where we are and what the future holds. And when we do that, we can see what needs to be done and what needs to be accomplished. The truth is that we have work to do here. We have choices to make about who we're going to be as a people. Are we going to heed the warnings and the exhortations that we find in Revelation 2 and 3? Or are we headed to the day when we simply close our doors because of decline? Too many churches across the country put up this mentality, I'm going to be the last one out and just flip off the lights. That's not what God wants. God wants churches that are full of life. He wants churches that are reaching their community, that are loving on the people around them, that are expressing the gospel message that know God and make him known. That's who we need to be. That's what the great commandment and the great commission are all about. God wants us to be that people here in Fayetteville, in this neighborhood, and in your neighborhoods all around this area so that we can accomplish what he is calling us to. You know, I tell you, and I've told you before, I have a very hopeful future for our church. I look ahead to a day when we'll be focused on our community in a greater way. I look ahead to a day when when our nursery is full again, our auditorium will be buzzing with life, and I anticipate the day when our baptistry will be used on a monthly and then a weekly basis. And I don't want these things for our glory, to say, hey, look at us at Calvary. But I want them so that we can say, look what God is doing at Calvary Baptist Church. That's what he he wants, and that's what we should all want, to bring him glory, to make him known among the nations. Now, to get to that point, we must look to the exhortations of Scripture and apply them to where we're at. And that's the reason that we've been looking at Revelation 2 and 3. Because they give us that type of direction, and they give us that type of direction again as we look at the church at Laodicea. Now, I don't know about you, but if you've ever sat and tried to type out Laodicea um, or write it out, it's a mouthful or a handful as you type it out. So I did a lot of corrections through my notes, but it is a name that we're not as familiar with. But the message there is probably one of the most common that you've heard the most. And so as I read that, you, you, you remember hearing that at some point or another. The message is to the seven churches, we have seen a familiar pattern to the truths expressed. Commendation, condemnation, correction, and consequences. However, when you try to apply that same structure to this passage, you end up with some trouble. Why? 
The primary reason is that this church of the seven is the only one that receives no commendation. There's no, nothing good. Jesus has nothing good to say here about them. Jesus is saying, you need to fix this. Unlike the last church we looked at, Jesus' words through the Apostle John are primarily negative and corrective in nature. And I always like to put myself in the place of the original recipients of this letter. Imagine that I'm the pastor of the Laodiceans. And I've read the other messages, and I think, all right, this stuff is hard to hear, but at least Jesus is pointing out something good about each of these churches. However, you get to your church, and there's nothing good to be found. And Jesus just says, I want to spit you out. The disappointment and discourage, discouragement that might have fallen on them, I can't hardly even imagine. But just because there wasn't something good said about them doesn't mean that there wasn't something good to be found in Jesus' message. Jesus offered correction, and in our correction, we find hope. So even as we take time and we evaluate where we're at as a church, we think, oh, boy, this part of our ministry is lacking, or, or this part of our congregation, this, we've got some work to do. There is hope for us because of the hope we find in Jesus as we see some of our failures as the church and see our church through the lens of Revelation 2 and 3, we must not lose hope. Sam Rayner in his book, The Church Revitalization Checklist, says, If God can save any person, God can save any church. That's a, an expression of hope. We can embrace that hope, evaluate where we stand, and seek to embrace the correction that God directs to us. Now, as I looked at this passage of Scripture, and as we've looked at these last two chapters, every message starts with a, some words about the messenger, who is giving this message to the Apostle John about Jesus. And that is where we find hope. So I wanted to run through these, because we haven't really talked that much about them over these last seven messages, <clears throat> and we're going to work our way backward. In Revelation 3, 14, we see that Jesus is listed as the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of creation. We look in Revelation 3, 7, he is the holy one, the true one, who has, shut the key, uh, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. In Revelation 3.1, he is him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. In Revelation 2.18, he is the son of God who has eyes like flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. In Revelation 2.12, it is him who has a sharp two-edged sword. In Revelation 2.8, he is the first and the last who died and came to life. In Revelation 2.1, it is him who who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Now, why are these words important? Why do I take time to even go back over them? They establish authority. Jesus, the Son of God, is sharing his heart with the churches of Revelation. And while his words were aimed at those churches, the correction is applicable to us and who we are as a body of believers. The words, I think back to my dad, the words that he had for me at those last few days of his life are valuable. They hold weight in my life. Hearing him say, I am proud of you, 
hearing him say, take care of your mom. I, those are things that you latch on to because they came from him. Knowing that these words in Revelation 2 and 3, those messages to the churches come from Jesus directly. Know that it is his authority by which he is speaking. They make them all the more important for us to look at, to evaluate where we're at. And now, we, while we may struggle at times with different parts of the Bible, there should be no doubts here. This is the Apostle John sharing the message of Jesus himself to the churches. So as we look at these words and we think, okay, these, these have got to be important. Pastor Kirk was stepping us through uh, the, the final messages of Jesus in the book of John. Spending some time there, and those, again, some of his last words on, on the planet before he stepped into his death. It is important for us to understand that these are the words of Jesus. If you hold up your Bible and you have a red-letter edition, guess what? They're red. And they point that and help us remember these are the words of Jesus. So they should hold great weight in our life. And so what does that mean for us? Well, that means that we need to listen because this is Jesus. So what is the message to the Laodiceans? Well, if we establish that Jesus was the messenger, what was his message? And as we stated earlier, the pattern of commendation, condemnation, and correction is uh, throughout, uh, thrown out because the balance is off here because Jesus has nothing to commend these people about. Again, imagine Jesus writes seven letters. We read through them. We're looking at the last one. We're hopeful what sort of good thing that he might say about Calvary. And guess what? There's nothing to be found. How hard that would hit. But again, it's not a message to discourage, but to bring hope. It is important for us to understand. You see, after a time of ministry in their community, Jesus had nothing good to say about them. And that's heavy. Calvary's been here in Fayetteville community since 1931. We just passed the 90th anniversary of Calvary Baptist Church. It's impacted lives for decades now, almost a full century. Now, if Jesus was writing to the churches of Fayetteville and he gets to us and has nothing good to say, how would we feel? I know that I'd be discouraged. I'd be disappointed. Might even be a little mad in that process. And that's what we find in this little letter to Laodiceans. After introducing himself, Jesus jumps right into the condemnation. What is he saying is wrong with the Laodiceans? He says this first, in verses 15 through 18, that you are useless. That's heavy stuff. For Jesus to say to a congregation, you are useless. And how do I know that? Well, if we look at verses 15 and 16, it tells us this. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would you that you were either cold or hot? So because you were lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now, over the years, over the years, I've had the wrong idea about this. And I'll be honest, I was reminded just recently of what this passage really meant. If you're in Faithful Men and Women and finish this little book, read this first, he makes reference to this exact passage. And I hope that you remember what was there. But probably, you know, as we look at this passage, it's one of the most well-known of the seven. 
We're familiar with the idea of being lukewarm in our context. The temperature often refers to how we feel about things. If we look at our local, normal, this context, not scripture, but who we are in our culture. If we're hot, we're fired up about something. That means that we're passionate about that thing or that activity. Today, the Hogs play the second game of the NCAA uh, Baseball Super Regionals. Many of us here in Northwest Arkansas are passionate about our hogs. We love them. Others in our community grew up in different areas, and they're passionate about their college teams. And while they're wrong, we still love them. They love their team but care nothing about the hogs. And then there are those in our community that are, eh, they don't care either way. We might call them lukewarm. That is our connotation to the temperature references. We must realize that that was not the initial intent of the passage. The initial audience wouldn't, would not have thought about emotional investment described as temperature is what we find here. <coughs> Jesus was sharing about a real and physical thing about the area. Again, those who read or read this first recently, you've already exposed to this idea. Laodicea was a community in between two different sources of water. One was cold and refreshing. The other was warm or hot and medicinal in nature. Both had a very specific purpose. They had a very specific use. However, as the waters blended together at Laodicea, it simply became a lukewarm mess that you would want to spit out. These two waters had lost their usefulness because they weren't good for either thing. So the big question for us as a body of believers and individuals, have we lost our usefulness? Cold, there's use in that. Hot, there was a use in that. But as it became lukewarm, it had no real purpose. Now, we all know that water ultimately is life. We have to drink water, and so it served that basic purpose. But it, these other temperatures had a specific purpose. What is our purpose? What should we be doing? As a people in our culture, has society reshaped us so much that we are of little use to those outside of these walls? Are we still useful in God's eyes? It's something that we must look at. Look at. A useful church is defined by its mission and how we, well we are accomplishing that mission. We are a great commandment and a great commission church. That is our mission. We are to love God, we are to love people, and we are to make disciples. Are we accomplishing those goals? Are we working to determine our vision of how God wants us to implement those goals in our community? And if we're unwilling to know him and to make him known, then it's time for us to consider closing our door. Success in ministry is not just about showing up week after week. And the gathered worship is of high value. Pastor Kirk and I both believe that. We need to gather for so many reasons, but it's so much more. Our ministry is so much more than just once a week. God has called us to make an impact in our world. God has called us to know God and to make him known. That's what real success in ministry is all about. Success in ministry is faithfully following God as he directs and leads, and we don't have to wait until... Uh, he speaks to us audibly. His word has given us marching orders, and it's time for us to be useful in his sight. So we need to understand that Jesus was saying, you guys are useless. 
This is a problem. So he's saying to us, are we useless? Are we useful for the kingdom? It's something we have to evaluate. The second thing is that you are helpless, but you think you are fine. Verses 17 and 18, there the Bible says this, For you say, I am rich, and I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from the gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich in white garments, so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and solve to anoint your eyes, so that you may see. There's nothing quite as destructive to the churches and to ministries is self-delusion. When men and women are unwilling to embrace the truth of a situation, nothing will ever change. We could say, we're fine, nothing's wrong. But there are things that are wrong. In our churches, in our church, and in churches in general. It is important for us to understand that we have to be self-aware. We can't be delusional. You know, unfortunately, it's what happens when people are unwilling to see the sin in their lives. People will come up with all sorts of thoughts about the wrongdoing in their lives, but they'll play the comparison game. We aren't as bad as that person or as my neighbor. And they will simply deny that sin is just a man-made concept to keep us down. And they come up with all these other ideas, all these other thoughts, but it's important for us to be aware. The Laodiceans were not. They thought they were fine. But Jesus' message was, you are a mess and you need me. Jesus says, church, you are useless and helpless. I don't know about you, but I don't want to hear that as Jesus' words for Calvary. I'd much rather hear, well done, good and faithful servant. If that is where we want to end up, then we must make the corrections that Jesus outlines. So as we step through the rest of this passage, we see some things that we can do, what that church, the Laodiceans, could do to correct the mess that had been made. So what were the corrections for them? Well, the first was that they were to invest in righteousness. And we see this in verse 18. It says, I counsel you to buy from gold refined by fire so that you might be rich in white garments so that you may clothe yourself. They were to invest in righteousness. How do we do that? Well, we do that by learning God's word, by worshiping together, encouraging one another, teaching one another, and utilizing those one another's to be Christ followers, to hold one another accountable so that we're seeking the Father. So we need to invest in righteousness. The second is that we need to be zealous it's a very straightforward statement, but I think, about, I think about the zealousness. What does that mean for us? We need to be passionate. We need to be passionate about our relationship with God. It is not just something that is an add-on to our life that we take care of on Sundays or maybe a midweek service. It is our life. Jesus is life. It's not about me. It's not about my wife. It's not about my family. Life is about Jesus. And then everything else falls into place after that. So I should be passionate. I should be zealous in that response. I should love God and go after him wholeheartedly. Now the correction says he continues for the church here is that they needed to repent. 
They needed to turn from their wrongdoing. As we've described repentance before, we're headed in one direction, we turn to the other direction. We need to turn from that sin that's in our life. We need to turn from those wrongdoings. We need to turn from being useless and being helpless and turn to him and depend on God to show us what we need. Then we need to fellowship with Jesus. Towards the end, he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and eat with him and he with me. God wants us to fellowship with his son. And we need that. I need that. I know that this, is, this has been hard. The last two years have been hard for everyone. And there are different times that it's been easier and harder. You guys, you know, you know of what my son has gone through. Uh, my, my son's not the only one that's experienced heartache and hardship during these last two years. What we need to understand is that fellowship with Jesus can help us step through those hard and difficult times. And as a church, it's vital that not just one person or like our, our pastor, that he's the one fellowshiping with Jesus, that all of us need that. And it's a cumulative effect as we meet together and share you know what Jesus is doing in my life? and You know what Jesus is doing? That encouragement with one another builds us up, gives us strength, and puts us on the path that we need to go on. The consequences that we end up with here are pretty simple. For those that conquer, Jesus will grant for him to sit on the throne with the Son. So if they can correct these problems, if they can work through these things, that there is a reward at the end. I love singing songs about heaven. It's not something we do as much as when I was a kid. I remember singing all sorts of things. I don't know why that time period, there was so much as I was in elementary and junior high. There were just songs all the time about heaven. And those were exciting and fun to think about. But really, as I've gotten older and more people are now with Jesus than I knew and that I loved, I can't wait for the day when I get to worship the Son, with them. It's such an exciting thing. But for those that conquer, those that put their focus on Him, those that trust in Him, that rely on Him, Jesus will grant for Him to sit on the throne. So what is our application here for Calvary? What are the things that we need to definitely do if we want to be a revitalized, a renewed church, if we want to be useful for the kingdom, if we want to rely on the Father and that be evident to everyone that's around us, there are these things that we find. First of all, we must invest in righteousness. We must encourage one another to be connected to the Scripture. It's one of the things that faithful men and faithful women is so good at is we are in those relationships with one another. We are sharing what we're reading, sharing what we're studying, we're growing together in that process, and that's a part of our discipleship program here at Calvary as we grow together. It's one of the reasons that we have a Sunday school hour, that we can grow in knowledge and understanding of God's Word. And in that process, when we not only know it, but apply it to our lives, that righteousness grows and we're investing in it. Secondly, we must be zealous. Now, not like the Tennessee baseball team. If you watched any of the games this weekend, oh my goodness. Those guys are passionate. Those guys are full of something. They are just 
very excited on the field, but there's no focus. There's no discipline. And because of that, one of their uh, players was actually ejected from a game because he let that zealousness fire up in an inappropriate manner. That's the issue. We want to be passionate for the Father. We want to be passionate about our church and about what God is doing here at Calvary. And be excited and honor Him in all of our words, all of our thoughts, all of the things that we share. And whether you're sharing on social media or you're sharing in person, God wants us to be passionate about what He is doing here at Calvary. And He is working at Calvary. I know that as I've talked about church revitalization over this last well, seven messages for sure, but at other times as well, because that's what I'm studying at Midwestern. If I look back a little over a decade, Calvary was a church that was running 300 people. But I would say that we, at the 60 to 75, are a much stronger church than Calvary has ever been. We're a loving congregation that cares about one another. And while it's, it's hard not seeing so much activity, but guess what? God is working in big ways in the hearts and lives of our people. So we want to thank him for that. We want to be zealous about that. We want to be passionate so that others know how good God is and how he's working in my life, in your life, and in the lives of the people here at Calvary. Then there are times that we're going to simply need to repent, personally and corporately. There are times that we have made mistakes as a congregation Maybe with a 90-year history, there are things that we may need to repent for as a congregation that happened even before we got here. That seems weird, but we carry the same name, Calvary Baptist Church. Some of you have been here for a long time. Others have been here shorter. But we need to realize that if we want to move forward, if we want to be the church that God wants us to be, we have to start on our knees. And then we need to encourage one another to fellowship with Jesus. That's what this means for us as we step forward. You see, we need to depend on the Father for provision, the way that He's going to provide in the future, but also purpose. A revitalized church is useful and relies on God. There are a lot of times that I feel pretty useless. You know, I, there are things that I can't do and I couldn't do, I think back to when my son was in the hospital, dealing with his Crohn's issue. There's nothing I could do. I felt completely useless in that process. But I could pray. I could ask God to work and trust him, rely on him. So I believe that's why these things are so tied together. Because we can't do it on our own. We can't be useful without God there. So we've got to rely on him to give us the strength, the courage, all of those things that we need to be his people here at Calvary, here in Fayetteville, here in your neighborhood. I know we have people in Springdale, Cave Springs, Farmington, and the list goes on. And that's what God wants to do. He wants to use you wherever you're at. At the end, we want to be a useful people of God who are relying on the Father. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for how you work, how good you are, and how kind you are to, to love us, even when we're unlovable. And Father, I just ask that as we take some time and evaluate who we are as a people, that you help us to be useful for your kingdom, 
for your glory and for your honor. We know we can't do that on our own, so we rely on you for strength and courage. We rely on you for all that you provide and, and can. You are worthy of worship today, and we thank you for that. Father, I ask again that you be with us as a people so we will honor you in all that we do. In Christ and we pray. Amen. Our heart's desire is that you grow and understand the direction God has for you in your life. We hope that by listening today, you are one step closer to discovering that for yourself. If you live in Northwest Arkansas and are looking for a church to call your own, we invite you to reach out to us at Calvary as we study and serve together. We meet for worship at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1410 North Porter Road in Fayetteville, Arkansas. If you wish to find out more information about Calvary Church or simply contact us, you can do that through our Facebook page or at calvaryfayetteville.com. Until next time, remember that God, His Word, and His people can provide direction for life.